Welcome to our latest Room 151 LGPS podcast, your source of investment insight and news tailored to local authority pension funds. My name is Mona Dola. I'm the LGPS editor here at Room 151. And I'm very pleased that we're joined today by Jason Fletcher. He's a former CIO at London CIV, and we're here to discuss investing in Stagnation Nation, where we'll talk about the pros and cons of investing in the UK economy. Thanks for joining us today, Jason. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for coming. So we've obviously deliberately picked a slightly provocative title here, and there are some real hard macro figures to back up that claim. UK inflation is, is relatively higher compared to its OECD peers. GDP growth is still anemic at best, and uh, let's not even get started talking about productivity figures. So there are some real issues here, but at the same time, politicians on both sides of the political spectrum are really keen to make that case for more institutional investment in the UK economy. And the LGPS as an open DB scheme are obviously right at the heart of that. But if we see this from an investor's perspective, why should they be allocating more money to the UK rather than, say, the US or emerging markets? And it's great to have Jason here because not only has he been at the helm of London CIV for many years, but he's also been equity specialist at USS, where he's covered in particular the North American market. So Jason, is this something that would be on your mind right now as an investor? Like, should we be looking at allocating more to the UK economy? I'll, I'll get to the UK economy, but I think we would just start with the real reasons as to why UK productivity has just been so awful versus other developed economies. I think the key key reasons here are obviously the the lack of total investment that you're going in. So we've got between 10 and 17 percent of GDP goes into investments, which is actually low relative to the rest of the world. More importantly, though, is the returns that that low amount of investment has been making, and in particular, how much of it has not been meeting its cost of capital, which return on investment has not been meeting its cost of capital. Now, there's many reasons for that. One of them, obviously, is Brexit, but we'll leave that for another time, I'm sure. But if we actually picture that more around poor decision making, that's both government and industry in terms of being too short term and not really being wary of political and economic cycles. As you highlighted earlier, I think the inequality is one of the biggest problems that we have in the UK. Clearly, the levelling up agenda is trying to address that. But I certainly believe that having a more level economy is good for us all. Inequality is bad, and actually we need to bring up everyone together. I think other factors, sluggish innovation, and I think we've got to be honest about it, poor corporate performance. Decision-making hasn't been good. And I think we've also suffering with crumbling infrastructure. And the other long-term factor that we've got is we're dealing with a very expensive property market and very draconian planning laws, which I think does actually provide hurdles for investing in productive assets going forward. So should the LGBS funds be investing more internally? Historically, that's not been a good idea, quite frankly, because of the currency and the poor returns in the UK. Actually, they were right to invest overseas, and they have done. Clearly, though, yes, the government would like us to invest more internally or in the UK. But to do that, we need to improve the outlook for the UK. The other thing that local government doesn't like is being told what to do with its investments. And they do have that need to be diversified and also to be independent from central government. So, yes, I think we do need to encourage incentives and nudges 
for the local government pension funds to be investing. And that needs to come from government. You've gone straight to the root of the problem, pretty much, with the productivity and corporate performance. And it's not really making a very strong case for investment in the UK economy. But are there some exceptions to the rule, perhaps? If, if we break it down by asset class and talk about the individual asset classes, perhaps there are some cases stronger than others. Clearly, the push from the government side seems to be mainly focused on high growth sectors. That's kind of in the investment consultation for the LGPS that's come out, although it's really unclear what the government means by that, but it seems to be private markets. Am I right? Just on the high growth, I mean, the definition of high growth, to me, it's productive growth. It needs to be productive. It doesn't matter if it's an old industry. So I think that is important. What actually constitutes productive capital is something that is obviously debated across many asset classes. So I think we'll see how that develops. As far as I see it, the main opportunities for the UK at this point, um, and it, we, we will need to make lots of changes, are obviously the carbon transition. This is likely to make up probably 50% of our investments in the future as we make that move from old energy to new energy. Um, and I think the key thing here that we should be concentrating on, because it's what we're good at, is actually focusing on the problem of grid technology and new technology. So the grid technology is really how do we make sure that all these renewable uh, sources of energy, how do we get that to the grid? And to be honest, we're not alone in that our grid is falling apart. I, in the last three months, have had three power cuts, and we didn't have one last night, which is saying something given the winds that were going on. Um, so it's already creaking. We need to uh, reinvest in that. And to be honest, that's true of the rest of the world. If we can innovate in the area of grid technology, that's something we could sell to the rest of the world. So I think that's a key area for investing. I think the other thing is using our universities and their ability to come up with new technologies could be critical as well to that green economy investing. And I think we've also got a natural advantage in offshore wind, partly because it's a very windy place, but also we're well situated for that. In terms of old technologies, though, I think we should be looking to invest in that. So pump hydro is something that in terms of a, as a proxy for batteries could be a good place to invest. And I think the other areas we need to focus in are where the stuff we're good at. So healthcare, technology, read a report recently about the fact that gaming is really important to the UK economy. We have a lead in that. And that's obviously because of the connections with media and education. I think that's something that we need to build on and actually see more investments, probably at an earlier stage there. The other thing we should be investing in to me is where we've got unmet need. And that's very much in the housing and infrastructure in the UK so we've got a real shortage of housing, which needs to be addressed. And we've also got crumbling infrastructure, in many cases worse than the rest of the world, that we need to address. Risks, though, is what we might invest in are things where we don't have a competitive advantage. In particular, I use the arguments of um, solar panels. China is really good and really efficient at making solar panels. We shouldn't try and compete with them. And I suspect that may be true of these gigabattery plants as well. I suspect there will be others who can do a better job of that. So we need to also avoid white elephant waste, which I see as being good examples of HS2. We need to get away from these things. I mean, we look back at HS2 and what's been done there. I genuinely believe putting proper Wi-Fi on all of the trains that we've got now would actually cost far less than HS2 and would actually give all people who are sitting on those trains for an extra 20 minutes time to be more productive. But I think we need to be more careful about how we make those investments. Another example would be in terms 
terms of our investments in technology. Obviously, high on the list at the moment has been what's been going on with the post office horizon system. We don't do particularly good investments on a big scale. We do much better IT investments on a small scale. And I think we should be focused on that, not these big projects. And I would highlight what's been going on in the post office and also the NHS um, technology spend that's been done. I think we really need to get our hands around that and do it better. In many ways, it's actually going smaller, not going for these big mega projects, but going for something that's a bit smaller. Mm, but there is an obvious tension here between what the government needs and what perhaps the UK public needs and what the LGPS needs for its investment portfolios and what LGPS members uh, need. They always like to say we're not sovereign wealth funds, right? So they don't have that necessarily obligation to spend money there and it's not always the best investment case. So is there a risk of them being dragged into projects that might end up losing their money or being stuck in illiquidity traps? Absolutely, there are lots of risks in there. But to be honest, to make returns and actually improve productivity, you need to take risk. And I think we need to be very reticent to that. And I don't think in the UK we've been particularly good about taking those risks, which is why the likes of the LGPS, who are looking for the greatest returns, are looking overseas. And I think rightly so. They, their members are, are much better off because they have done that. So I think that's a good thing. I think we also need to shy away a bit in terms of where we can make returns. There are areas of the equity market which are also investing in all of these things. And actually, we should be supporting those areas and improving the productivity of the UK. So it's not just in private markets, but the liquidity risk and the early stage investment risk is something we probably need to take more of and be reticent of in the UK to encourage people to invest more in the UK and because we're taking those same risks overseas. Jason, can I come back to a point that you just made that really stood out with me that you said half of the investments, the new investments would be into the energy transition. Is that LGPS investments or general investments? I guess it's across asset classes and quite broadly, right? Like including stuff like batteries. And For me, if we're going to meet net zero by 2050 or earlier, essentially we have got to put in an awful lot of investment into renewables and the energy transition. And to be honest, if you add in green economy, to be honest, that's going to be huge amounts as well. So in terms of, so with all the discussions about um, the steel industry moving to electric arc furnaces, it's going to be a really large part of any investments going forward. And obviously, we're not alone in that. We're further ahead in the green energy transition than the rest of the world. The rest of the world's going to be doing it even quicker. So I think it's going to be a very large part of the investments that are made in the UK. So when we have 10% of UK GDP in investment, which is too low, I think a large chunk of that is going to need to be in the green economy and the transition economy. I love the sound of that. It's just if I'm seeing it, for example, if you had like your London CIO had done, if half of your portfolio were in private equity, wind energy, that would be a bit of a concentration risk, wouldn't it? Like you can't actually build a portfolio like that. Some of it has to be in bonds and relatively safe assets. In the case of London Civ, if you look at their infrastructure portfolio, 25% of that renewable infrastructure portfolio was invested in the UK. And the UK is obviously, I don't know, 5% of the world GDP. So we are over-indexed to it. And you've got to remember for every time that we invest overseas, there's overseas investors who, for diversification purposes, are investing in the UK in particular the Australians and the Canadians. So I think it does work both ways. The key thing really is just to make UK investments more attractive and a better return than you're getting elsewhere. And I think that's really how we attract capital. It doesn't matter particularly whether it comes from a Canadian pension fund 
or whether it comes from a UK pension fund. And I guess it is a strong story to be told to members as well. I think some LGPS funds and it just recently have made some really interesting local impact investments as well. And in housing and, and, and that kind of stuff, which you mentioned, there's a huge need there as well. What are the things that they should be mindful of, perhaps, in terms of investment risks when, when they're doing something like that? Yes, a good example, London SIF, we just launched a UK housing fund, and it's only in the UK. It's not investing overseas. And I think in that actually does make sense for a couple of reasons. One is the need is greater in the UK than it is in the rest of the world for housing. Um, we have a bigger problem here. We have very expensive housing and that is damaging to our economy. And I think that investing in UK housing that is really attractive in the UK. It is obviously not as diversified, but there are many risks of investing overseas in property. I would argue more because you're going to be locked up for a long time. There is currency risk to it as well. Um, so if you're going to invest overseas, I would certainly look to be doing it outside the housing sector in equities and bonds. I think it makes much more sense to diversify. I think UK housing is a great example of something in the UK that is that it's got that unmet need, potential good returns and the ability to pay for LGPS and other foundations and is to make those returns that are in, in sterling to deliver benefits in sterling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've got that. You, you don't have that currency risk then as well. That's true. Another big trend we've seen is, is nature positive investing and the LGPS is kind of making some bets there as well. What do you think looks, does a good nature positive investing strategy for the LGPS look like? In the world of uh, natural capital, it's really a case of what does it look like? At London Civ, they were very much focused on natural capital. That essentially is investing in forests, farming and new technologies. But to be honest, they've been investing in renewables and affordable housing all of which are things which will be carbon positive, if you're allowed to use that as a term, which is something that everyone will need. If we've all got an objective of net zero at some point in the future, be it 2050 or 2040, we will have to offset something. We've got 8 billion people on the planet who are all breathing out carbon dioxide. We need to offset that somewhere. We need something that's carbon positive to offset that, assuming that 8 billion people roaming the planet is not a, a natural consequence. So I think we do need to look at that and where LGPS funds have a net zero target as well as a return target. I think that's something we can put them together with uh, investment solutions that can cover both of those bases. And you mentioned right at the beginning that, I mean, we, we talked about the macro issues the UK is facing, like productivity issues, and both sides of the political spectrum, interestingly, want more institutional investment in the UK economy. What could they do to encourage more investment, especially green capital? So nudges and encouragements that the government can make, carbon credits, carbon taxes, and actually charging people who import carbon into the country as third parties, I think is an important uh, nudge that we can actually make. Now, obviously, that's very difficult to set in place, but I think certainly is something we should be pursuing. The other thing is it's a way of raising capital that could be reinvested to actually become part of the solution to this. So other things that they can do, we need to make uh, investment vehicles much cheaper. Private markets is inherently expensive and is even more expensive when you start looking at venture capital. So I think making those vehicles cheaper and making it cheaper for individuals, pension funds to invest in these investments would be really good. We also need to make sure everyone is thinking more long term. That's investors. That's the people making the investments. And it's also the government. We shouldn't be tied by 
market and political cycles. So I think looking further out, I think we also need to take more risk. We need to take more risk on early stage investments, something the US has done very well. And I think one of the aspects to that is also forgiving failure. We will have entrepreneurs making big bets out there. We need to allow for the fact they will fail from time to time and we need to haul them back up so that they can have another go to make those investments. We don't deal with failure very well in the UK. So I think it's really a case of taking more risk and the government needs to encourage that and also make it easier for people to invest in these things. And I think really it's using our wonderful UK universities and their excellent research and taking that through to investments which can actually add value to us and the rest of the world. And I think we really need to focus on that. That all sounds well and good. And I'm, I'm really in favor. Like it sounds great investing in the energy transition. But like if I see it from a portfolio perspective, that risk has to be offset somehow, right? I mean, we no longer have these classic LGPS portfolios with a neat little, neat 60% equities, 40% bonds, and all evenly geographically distributed. And now we're talking about putting a huge part of that money into potentially quite risky private market assets. How is that risk being offset then? You said we need to allow risk. What happens if you lose that money? How can you compensate? So you offset the risk by the other things you have in the portfolio. So for example, it's your equities and bonds. Essentially, what we're doing is we've got three. We've got equities, bonds, and we've got private assets. And essentially, they all have different risks and returns. And essentially, you use each of them to offset. It's, it's coming out of having a diversified portfolio. But coming to the point, yes, there is potential for more to go into private markets and the more productive things. I think broadly, the UK pension industry and to us, the rest of the world has been moving more towards bond investments, much to my, my disgust in terms of I think that is damaging to their returns. It may help their risk side and it may reduce their costs. I think it's something that we should be taking more risks, but making sure they're diversified risks, because that's essentially when you're going back to pure economics. That's how you make your returns. There is obviously a real concern that if you just stick your money into government gills, that might be part of the reason why we have a lack of investment in, in the UK economy. Is that right? Yes. So, I mean, just on the equities side, my, my personal belief is that core equity should be the core asset for pension funds, sovereign wealth funds and foundations in terms of meeting their objectives. British Airways, which was my first job as an example, if they'd had 100% in equities in their pension fund for the last 30 years, British Airways would still be the best airline in the world and would have some very happy pensioners. Investing outside equities, to me, needs to ensure that we're meeting the risk-adjusted return after costs, which brings me to bonds, where historically that risk-adjusted return after costs hasn't really been as good as equities. It does improve your risk and it improves your cost, but the total return is not sufficient. So I think LGBS funds typically have not invested an awful lot in bonds, which has been a good thing historically, but I think are more likely to be investing in it more in the future. The key question really is getting back to what is productive capital. And I think we do need to be careful about bond investing as to what is construed as being productive capital. Is buying a government guilt productive capital. I'm not sure it really is. Buying a bond, a corporate bond, I think can be, but it depends on where it's invested. Uh, is it invested in something that's productive or something that's not productive? So I think overall, I think the LGPS has got scope for putting more money into bonds. 
I hope it will be in the investment grade and high yield area, though I would caution that it is likely to be concentrated overseas. There will be some investment in the UK, but I think really the call would be possibly to put less money into gilts, which is where many of our brethren in the uh, private market sector have been putting their investments. If the government really wants uh, more money invested in productive capital, it probably needs less money invested in gilts which uh, could be a problem for the government. Yes, it could be. That would drive up borrowing costs. Uh, so there are some real, real issues there. And obviously, on top of all that, we've got an election looming at the end of this year, which doesn't help with political clarity and forecasting. But all the polls indicating that Keir Starmer is going to be winning this election. To wrap up this podcast with a bit of a forward look, what are the first things that should be on Keir Starmer's to-do list once he takes over at Downing Street 10 to attract more institutional investment in the UK economy? I think Keir Starmer and indeed Rachel Reeves will be right in front of this as she's working on this at this very moment. I think the, the key long-term issues to resolve for the UK will be sorting out the housing problem and also sorting out Britain's planning regulations, which are really draconian, but that should be a top priority. In terms of the green investments, though, obviously the key thing is that 28 billion per annum they've promised as an investment, which has been somewhat curtailed because of the political focus on reducing taxes and spending. But surely 28 billion would be good and it's the right area to be investing in. I think we do need to make sure that we are focused on things which are productive in terms of what that money is invested in. I think the key problem is that we may not have the money available to do that. So we're going to be seeking it from the private sector, maybe our GPS funds, etc. But I think the, the key thing really they should be looking at is carbon taxes and how we deal with that. I know the word tax is political dynamite at the moment, so we've got to be very careful. So I think we maybe we should be looking at something which is more friendly. So, for example, a green investment levy could be reinvested in the green economy, and that could be used to fund that $28 billion, but certainly something we should be um, encouraging. I think the government also needs to encourage entrepreneurial risk-taking. And another thing we should also look at is the recent cuts in national insurance no, this is not called a tax and was originally used to fund the NHS back in time, which shows similar parallels here. But I think we should be considering whether that money ought to be ploughed back into the productive economy in terms of the energy transition, but also the smaller investments and the investments coming out of the wonderful universities that we have in the UK to try and help our economic malaise going forward. I hope that the next 30 years are far more productive than the last 30 years. Fingers crossed. Here's to hope. Um, Jason, it's been really good to have you on here. And I thought, um, I mean, we, we started off this podcast quite gloomy, but um, actually there are some real pockets of opportunity, especially in the energy transition and the potential for the LGPS to do great things in that. So feeling slightly less gloomy, and I hope you do as well after our conversation, which is good. And I hope so do our listeners. Thanks for dialing in and listening to our Room 151 podcast and stay tuned for more news from us. Thank you very much. Thank you.